0: Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. You're listening to Yellow Wolf Podcast.
1: Taken short, Sancho! The talismanic teenager rescues Dortmund in by peace, chair.
2: Dortmund are away. It's Jaden Sancho. He's got Alcácer with him. It's Jaden Sancho, Alcácer! Dortmund's penalty box predator
3: shows his quality again.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 288 of the Yellow Report. I'm your host Stefan Butsko, and this week we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 3-1 win away to Cologne, the UEFA Champions League draw and Saturday's match against Union Berlin to discuss all that and more. Join me once again, Lars Polmann. Hello, Lars. Good to have you here. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. You don't have me there wherever you are, but I'm doing fine. (laughs) Well, here on the show. Also here on the show is Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing?
1: Hello, Stefan. I'm doing quite well. How are you?
2: It's also very pleasant here today in Philadelphia, hence I'm doing very fine. And I can announce the return of a special guest. He blogs about Unia in Berlin, or at least used to, because I've uh, checked the site out and it's not been updated since May, but it's eisenerketten.de. Welcome to the show, Daniel Rosbach.
0: Yeah, hi. Uh, The reason that uh, that site isn't updated is that we... uh Um, decided to do some consolidation of efforts and we now moved all the tactics blogging also to Textilvergehen.de. Yes,
2: that is amazing. Textilvergehen is obviously one of the biggest German blogs and they cover Union Berlin for the first time ever in the Bundesliga. So Daniel, I'm very glad to, to have you on here. Yeah, before we get to the Champions League draw, I gladly announce that this episode is sponsored by Dennis Thompson from San Diego and he would enjoy connecting with any other Dortmund fans down there uh, for a game sometime. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Thompson Jr. and also we're sponsored for this episode by Daniel Beesel from the Bay Area in California. How far is that to San Diego, Matthias?
1: Oh, quite a few hours. Alright, so... Um, but
0: a very f- uh, pleasant few hours of driving <laughs> at least.
2: So yeah, if you also want to be a sponsor like Daniel or Dennis, then uh, go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall for more information also uh, big thanks to everyone who is already subscribing we breached the uh, 300 mark today we have uh, put our written content which includes interviews features and news behind the paywall as some of you have already noticed to make all the reporting feasible financially feasible for me so it's just one dollar a month so go 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 and subscribe and uh, the 500 bucks mark is next. I hope so. And a shout out to Rip City in our yellowwallport.com Bundesliga Fantasy League. Only 32 match days to go until you get the candlelight dinner with last man. <laughs> 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 if you can manage to stick to the top, my FC automatism have dropped from 48th to 84th. So um yeah, I have to worry more about finishing last and uh, the punishment, as we all know, is the candlelight dinner with Konstantin Ekner. So With all the housekeeping out of the way, today, Thursday, was the UEFA Champions League draw and Borussia Dortmund are in Group F along with Barcelona, Inter Milan and Slavia Prague. Uh, Your top-line reaction, Lars?
3: First of all, Stefan, uh, as you were talking about housekeeping, how are your... Or I I can see, rather, that your uh, geography skills are still lacking because you don't even get things right in the country where you live right now. So, I mean, that's, that's disappointing. Um, my, my first reactions to the draw, I was working during the draw and I wouldn't have watched it anyway, just because, you know, I don't need to see names plop out of, uh, mini footballs, uh, so to say. But obviously for me, the, the, the headliner as, uh, Twitter followers will know I am a Inter Milan fan. So playing against them on a personal level sucks just because I would have liked for them to be uh, on the other side of the draw so I can watch the games, uh, which uh, I guess is now only possible if uh, the UEFA uh, were to schedule the games uh, across from each other, if you like. So uh, that's kind of disappointing for me personally. and, And also presumably one of those two teams not making it out of the group stage is a bit disappointing, but uh, as a general football fan and, you know, someone who reports on Dortmund specifically, I think this is close to the perfect draw you can get. Uh, finally, no Atletico, no Real Madrid, no Man City. Uh, thank God Arsenal are bad now, so they aren't in the mix. Um, <laughs> finally, some uh, some change from pot one, if you like. Uh, with Barca, I think we've kind of waited for that. Uh, draw for the last few years I would say so it's it's nice especially with uh, this still being in the heyday of Lionel Messi it would have been really disappointing if Dortmund and Barca were to meet in let's say 2023 or so when Messi just uh, hung up his boots or whatever so I think uh, arguably the best team from pot one from a Dortmund perspective Uh, Inter is obviously a very attractive draw, even if uh, on a personal note, I don't like it very much. But, you know, it's a great city, great stadium, a huge club, but still one that Dortmund, I think, will be favorites against, even though Antonio Conte is a magician as a head coach and will have them much better than they've been over the last few years. And then uh, I think pot four teams, seeing as Leipzig weren't available for Dortmund, neither one of those... uh, put too much fear in the hearts of Dortmund fans, I think. And with Prague, uh, you have a very cool city for away fans, for traveling fans, and a short trip for the team and uh, presumably somewhere between four and six points. So that's all you hope for from Port 4. So ultimately, three uh, attractive draws from a number of perspectives uh, and a, a, a big sporting challenge. But I think Dortmund will be up for the test.
2: Yeah, Matthias, uh, it's the first time Lionel Messi will play at the Westfalen Stadion. I personally are quite disappointed that it happens the year. I definitely cannot be there for the game. Um, How um, confident are you that Dortmund will make it out of the group?
1: Oh, you know, I mean, that's hard to say how confident. Uh, I mean, Barcelona and Conte's Inter obviously very, very difficult. Opposition... I would say, personally, they probably have as good a chance, as any of them, of any of the three to go through, confidence-wise. I don't know. I I wouldn't be shocked if they make it through. I wouldn't be shocked if they finish third. So I guess 50-50, for lack of anything better. It's, I, I think any of those three can go through, and any of those three obviously can and will finish third.
2: Yeah, Daniel, what's uh, your reaction to the Champions League draw overall?
0: Well, as a neutral, um, I, I was also looking forward to Barcelona playing, uh, Dortmund finally. But actually, that game, um, even though Messi is still playing, as you said, uh, is coming a few years too late. It would have been really awesome to see hyper pressing, um, Dortmund play against, uh, like, actual Barcelona a few years ago. Um, but that will, we remain a uh, sort of a regret or a missed opportunity of the, the football gods. Um, and now that I actually, uh, wouldn't be, um, too skeptical about Dortmund's chances because, um, if you look back to over the last few years, uh, Barca are quite, uh, likely to, um, that a few points slip here and there, um, which doesn't necessarily mean that they won't go through, but, it, uh, I think it is an opportunity for a side like Dortmund to pick up a few points and, Um, It's not necessarily a a uh, 12-9-6-0-points group.
2: Yeah, I I would agree. It's uh, definitely a very interesting group and uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, Borussia Dortmund today was also honored for the Equal Game Award uh, for the club's efforts to fight racism. Um, Borussia Dortmund's uh, campaign is called Borussia Verbindet and uh, is basically concerted effort to yeah fight against racism right-wing you know mindsets anti-semitism and all that Uh, i know they they fund educational trips to the extermination camp uh, and to auschwitz and and fund various other projects that uh yeah basically follow the same efforts and uh, I, i think this this whole campaign started in 2013 um when uh, the uh, fan stewards, let's call them that, Jens Volk and Tilo Danielsmeyer back then were uh, attacked by right-wing extremists on a trip to Shakhtar Donetsk. And uh, I mean, it wasn't the first uh, effort by Dortmund to to fight uh, fascism and, and right-wing extremism. But uh, yeah, this is uh, certainly more uh, concerted now and obviously living in Dortmund or have lived in Dortmund I can say it's also very much needed. Um, everyone uh, who lives there definitely knows the uh, suburb Dortmund-Dorsfeld which is uh, in the entire Ruhr area a bit of a Nazi hub so um, there there needs to be much more work to be done and it's nice that UEFA appreciates that um, I will yeah, n- not further comment on UEFA's efforts to combat racism overall because um, that will be a, a very long and disappointing show. So, um, yeah, just uh, nice for Dortmund to, to get that honor. I think it was the first or second time this, this award was given out. So, um, yeah, Hans-Jochen Watzke received the award today. And, yeah, that's all about the, the Champions League and um, the draw in Monaco today. So we can now move over. To the match in Köln on Friday night, Borussia Dortmund with a very late 3-1 win to maintain number one spot in the Bundesliga. Um, but I think we really have to talk a little bit here about the first half, which was, as we say in German, Grottenschlecht by Borussia Dortmund. Lars, where do we begin? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I was going to channel Gennaro Gattuso and say the game was sometimes good, sometimes shit. Um, <laughs> I mean, the first 60 minutes, I would say, not only the first half. Uh, yes. I i don't understand really what the thought process uh, ahead of the game was. I mean, uh, last season, Dortmund dropped points away from home to uh, eventual relegated teams such as Hannover and Nuremberg, which were two goalless draws, which... You could argue, from a mathematical standpoint, kind of cost Dortmund the title, even though it's obviously uh, a Milchmädchenrechnung, as we say in Germany, to uh, to make that argument. Just because you you can't cherry pick where Dortmund's drop points hurt the most. I mean, they dropped them no matter where. Um, so for me, I kind of expected them to learn from that harrowing experience of last season and go mm. into these games with a smarter uh, approach a an approach that might be conducive to actually winning the game from the outset and not having to uh wrestle it from cologne's hands in the third in the, in the final third but you know i guess i made my plans without one lucien favre uh, and his conservative mind uh, and and also obviously the team itself because uh no matter how the coach sets you up, you are still allowed to make adjustments yourself and play better, which, you know, just didn't really happen in comparison to the games I mentioned earlier. So um, they they kind of let Cologne do their thing instead of imposing themselves, which, you know, is surprising considering how strong Dortmund looked for the most part, at least against Augsburg, and how positive their start of the season has been and, and how positive the atmosphere around the club in general is at the moment so um, I'm not really sure just what the as I said thought process before the game was and and how they envisioned the game against Cologne to go in their favor with the the setup they they used at the start of the game so I mean for all the credit that I I think we will give Lucien Favre in a minute for his in-game coaching this time around I think there, there needs to be, or there need to be some questions asked as to what exactly the plan was going into the game.
2: Yeah, I guess uh, I, I have one quick follow up question for you, Lars. Uh, are you triggered by the word patience? No. Okay, because Dortmund players after the game and Favreau, they, they always underscore how, how much patience they need in their build up and whatnot. And yeah, uh, but well, they.
3: That kind of annoys me in in that context because they they didn't win because of patience. They they won because they completely changed what they did halfway or roughly halfway through the second half because nothing worked. I mean, it's not it's not a patient approach uh, uh, that that paid off eventually as everybody predicted at the start of the game. <laughs> it it was the the complete upheaval of their approach that that uh, got them the result and ultimately i would say that we, we could point to two uh, individual players who got them the result and that is the two uh Favre brought on in Brandt and uh, uh, hakimi
2: yeah we can add sancho to that um daniel I, i'll go to you next because i i think you have sympathies for dortmund i'm sure that you consider cologne as one of your main rivals for uh you know, life for another year in the, in the Bundesliga. So um, where do you think things went wrong for Dortmund in the first half?
0: that's um, <laughs> I think that um, not having the solutions that Brandt brought on um, was quite key. Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> but also I have to say that um,
2: you, you just reverse engineered an answer basically.
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and also um, um, I I have limited expertise about, uh, uh, regarding the first half because I was watching the uh, Dortmund against Augsburg game um, that day because I was preparing for Union playing Augsburg so that was uh, a bit of a distraction um, and so I'm, I don't have, actually have uh, too much to add to the details of that game <laughs> Alright,
2: that is, that is completely fine um, <laughs> Matthias, then I'll come to you finally um, why does Dortmund still not Wester isn't able to deal with the high press that Cologne applied for a long time.
1: Uh, good question. I don't. I mean, I'm not in the the uh, coaching circles and so on. I think, um, obviously, you saw when when there was a change in formation and change in personnel, it, it worked much much better. I think that's honestly. Not a Dortmund issue. I don't think so at all. I think that's uh, any club issue. I mean, it's like Bayern, if you stand on their toes, they have a really hard time. If you make it very uncomfortable for the opposition to play their game, it's going to take them a long time to figure out a way around it. Because it's not like Cohen made it hard on Dortmund and then kind of coupled that with amazing attacking feats. Yeah, they had a few chances, of course, but... Their their main goal was to not allow Dortmund into the game rather than necessarily imposing an overwhelming game plan themselves. So um it, it took a while. It took a few adjustments. But, you know, that's sports. That's football. I, I don't see this as an issue, to be honest.
2: Well, maybe you're right, Matthias, and I should maybe not blow this up too much because it's still very early in the season and Dortmund have of course a lot of room for improvement at this point but at the same time I would also say that the uh, two points of criticism I have are not exactly new and is something that I hope for was going to be fixed over the summer and uh if you want to read about it, the two points of criticisms were addressed by me in the Adventures of Hurtzelwey Part 2 on the uh, Yellow Wallpot page. But uh, nevertheless, um, I'm going to reiterate it right now. And th- The first one goes to Dortmund's build-up from the first line, if you want. You know, Hummels, Schulz, Pischek, Akanji... The first line and in front of that is of course the second line in Weigel and Witzel and those two are very close together and I think Konstantin Eckner talked about this on the Rasenfunk where he was invited that Cologne have a habit of stretching the opponent when the opponent has the ball and basically he I think he said making the field very long and Dortmund. On the flip side, also have the habit of, of stretching out quite a bit when they build up. That means Dortmund's first and second line stays back almost, you know, pinned down to their own box. And then the rest, the front four that just chills beyond the halfway line. And that means there's huge gap and makes this passing channels very long and very easy to intercept. And the problem is when you play against an opponent like Cologne, who presses very high, then if you lose the ball in that build up and play a very risky pass and Köln win it on a turnover, then they can just pass it to one of their many attackers and easily outnumber Dortmund or at least gain parity. And that's, that's a big problem for Dortmund. So what, what happened here is that Dortmund's backline was pushed very, very far back and Modest and Cordoba basically tried to distort that and then Cologne pushed up there to central midfielders to cover Witzel and Weigel and take those two out of the game so what happened is that Dortmund often passed to their fullbacks to Schultz or Piszczek but these two were isolated and really didn't have any way to pass the ball forward so that means Dortmund had to Uh, reshuffle the ball and that is actually one of Lucien Favre's plans he wants to shuffle the ball back right switch it until you move the opponent's chains to the extent that a gap opens you can progress the ball this is what Favre usually means when he talks about patience Um, but against Cologne it didn't really work and if it or when it worked um, we come to the second and probably more pressing issue for Dortmund, and that is, um, just the lack of attitude. I mean, come on. If, uh, you want to win a championship, then you just cannot stand around and, and, and wait for, for stuff to happen. I mean, um, Michael Sorg, the sporting director on the pre-match conference, talked about, uh, the proverbial edge, and he was, um, you know, trying to warn the team not to slack off, and it's exactly what they did. Yet again, we've seen it a million times past season. And uh, you know, if you if you make great announcements and have ambitions, you just cannot allow yourself. Even though um you know obviously it's a it's a hostile atmosphere in Cologne were very much motivated, but you can't allow yourself to just be completely static. So the problem was one when, whenever Dortmund got the ball in your position half, they just could not retain it or create anything with it because there was no movement up front. The the front four, and I'm also looking at you, Marco Reus, um was not moving to the extent to create actual gaps and channels. And, and also dominance. So Dortmund failed to impose themselves and then the ball just pings back and forth and, and, you know, allows Köln, for example, to create a set piece to, to go up front. So this is maybe even the, the bigger criticism than the, than the first point is that uh, Lucien Favre just currently fails to motivate this team to an extent, um, where they are so motivated and, and just play the football they're supposed to play. Right from the get go. And then we don't have to really talk about how Dortmund are the comeback kings or turn things around because they just impose themselves for from the first minute. So this is something in the future. I, I want to see that players in midfield have this sharpness and, and pass the ball around and not just, you know, take one, two, three, four touches, walk around with the ball. Meanwhile, everyone else, their teammates are not really, um, you know, participating, especially the, the guys up front and, you know, credit to Cologne, they were also very smart about it. Um, Anthony Modest, when Dortmund were in possession, Mark Thomas out of the game, so he wouldn't just receive the ball and then then pass it uh, like Mats Hummels does. And John Cordoba was uh, basically a pendulum, you know, having a very close eye on Julian Weigel and trying to disturb him every time he had the ball. So Dortmund's, you know, passing... Uh, rhythm was was completely dis- disrupted by cologne and yeah credit to them so yeah end of rant i was not very happy with seeing that and um yeah but you know let's not just talk about the bad stuff i think that rant was long enough um last, i think uh you were quite giddy to see how julian Brandt then eventually turned this game around and uh maybe you can replicate that giddiness right now for us
3: Yes, uh me and my trademark giddiness on this podcast. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a a winning combination if there ever was one. Um yeah, I mean obviously I can't because it was, uh, you know, heat of the moment stuff, but I think we've established over a number of episodes uh during the summer and even late last season when the rumors about Brandt joining Dortmund really heated up um how he would improve the team tremendously, even if perhaps he wouldn't have, you know, the the gaudy's numbers himself, uh, because of his football IQ, his intelligence, his his uh, innate sense of uh, time and space on the pitch, uh, his movement skills, his technical abilities. I mean, he he basically proved us all fairly right in this game because he completely changed the complexion of uh, a game in i think 28 minutes of regular time without getting on the score sheet himself or directly assisting one of the goals he was involved in the lead up to uh, two goals um, i think but you know he didn't have that 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 key moment where everybody could see—you know—if you only watch the highlights, you you probably think Julian Brandt didn't have much of an impact on the game because he didn't, you know, play that final ball before the the second or third goals. But you know, he completely changed the way Dortmund played and that way the the team, I think, you know, thought about playing forward. Um, obviously, Farfel went against his. Nature as a coach, I would say, uh, in bringing on Brandt as part of what we call a Doppelzehn in Germany. So he played with two number 10s in Brandt and Reus ahead of uh, Axel Witzler as the lone, I wouldn't say holding midfielder because Cologne didn't add anything offensively at that point. So there was nothing to hold. So I would say he was (laughs) the the central midfielder. Um so he Dortmund made perfect use of Brandt's talents in that regard. Uh, he had all the 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 space and the liberty to to find the the little nooks and crannies in Cologne's spacing, which was deteriorating because of their waning running power. Uh, I think Cologne probably gave a little too much in the first sixty minutes, so that definitely played a part. But I mean the way uh, Brandt sees things ahead of everyone else, the way he glides over the pitch uh, effortlessly. I mean, you could, could go on and on about what makes him such a great player and, and almost an, a unique player in, in, in Germany or in the Bundesliga, I would say. I don't I don't really know how many players of his caliber there are that are just so instinctive and just know what to do and when to do it on, on this higher level. I think there are really a few only and... To think that Dortmund got one of them for 25 million when that's the going rate for, you know, second-rate strikers in other leagues—that's that's still kind of unbelievable to me. And and certainly, uh, if Dortmund are going to have any kind of, you know, a real success in terms of a trophy or silver, where uh, this season I think Julian Brandt will have played a major role in that. Even if, as I said before, the the score sheets or the 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 lists of goal scorers and and the like will probably not feature his name too prominently.
0: Yeah, you mentioned um, him gliding around the pitch there and uh, asked for comparisons. I think really uh, Reus is the only uh, other player that I can remember who has this start of movement, but. Um, if, it, if that's not, uh, blasphemy, uh, Brand maybe even has some things that Royce doesn't have, um, in terms of solutions and really tight spaces. And that was really was, what was striking against Cologne. Now he just had some really, uh, esque turns, um, that create space really well and, um, have really, have a progressive edge to them. Uh, edge source is something that you mentioned already. Um, I found that really impressive.
2: Yeah. If I may add one tiny tidbit to, uh, the, the transfer fee, um, course, I only realized that uh, yesterday when I looked it up, because Hans Joachim Watzke said that uh, you know with the new signings only Matsumoto has major Champions League experience, but when I looked it up, I saw that Julian Brandt also has already, I think, 21 Champions League games to his name at 23 years of age. So I think that uh, you know valuable European experience just adds to the to the value of a player, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, more cause and and reason for joy about the signature of Julian Brandt for the you know ne- negligible fee of 25 million. Um, Matthias but Julian Brandt of course didn't just turn it around by himself and we saw um, I think last call to the doubled scene but there were I, I would say that that also Jade Sancho was quite central in in the last 20 to 24 minutes of the game. Uh, how did you see that triangle of skill uh, work out?
1: Well, obviously it worked out very, very well. With Brandt coming on, all of a sudden there was significantly more movement, which created space for everybody else to start shining as well. It wasn't just a matter of get Royce the ball, get Sancho the ball and see what they can do. Uh, it was significantly improved team play. The dynamic of everyone's movement got better simply because there was more space. Um, because Koen couldn't, were, were forced to get out of their um, very um, disciplined shape. And so that that allowed others to shine. And I think that's that's that crea- creative spark that you can see when you have a true playmaker come centrally uh, versus the more static Weigel combo in that sense.
2: Yeah, were, were you happy that Dortmund equalized on a set piece after conceding from yet another one?
1: Uh yeah, and and as far as you know conceding on a set piece, um, I've been from obviously we only have really a couple of matches to go by. Uh, Dortmund's overall strength at corners, at defending corners, looks significantly better than it was last season. More strength. Uh, the clearances are more determined. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm not nervous. Occasionally you'll concede from a corner and that happened. It was, it was pretty good corner routine overall. And um, I, it's not, I don't compare this to the epidemic of corners conceded last season. We'll kind of see how the rest of the season plays out before. I think we can really make a judgment there.
2: Yeah, I mean, we that that remains to be seen because I don't think that Dortmund really changed their zonal marking in in the box too too much, and uh, putting Lucas Piszczek on 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 the first post is is something that could make them vulnerable in exactly the way you, you saw against Cologne.
1: Yeah, but the, you forget one key component. They've added Mats Hummels, who's extremely good at both attacking and defending set pieces. That makes a world of difference. I mean, I think about the number of corners last season where whoever Akanji was paired with screwed up. Um, I don't really foresee that happening much yeah there's still some vulnerabilities to the zonal marking scheme but there's also vulnerabilities to the straight up man marking system I think having Mats in there makes a huge difference both in attacking and defending uh, set pieces
2: yeah I would agree with that Uh, Lars uh, do you have a comment to Dortmund set piece defending do you think this was just a quote unquote blip or do you think there is further cause for worry I mean, I would
3: say the goal was indefensible uh, because the goal scorer, Dominic Drexler, is from my hometown, Bonn. Uh, <laughs> actually, there, there, there is a slight chance uh, that I played against him as like a 12-year-old because he played at a smaller local club uh, until, uh, I think, 13 years of age. So there, there's a slight chance I played against him. And obviously, he, he would have learned from me how to steal yourself away <laughs> at the second post. Uh, that was, uh, was also also my signature move as a twelve year old fat guy. <laughs> um, so uh, not, obviously, I mean, the the losing the header at the first post or towards the first post that can happen. I mean, that as Matthias said, you will concede some goals from from set pieces. I mean, that's that, that's the nature of the game. The problem here was uh, not you know losing the the headed duel. It was Nico Schulz just falling asleep at the wheel and forgetting about uh, his responsibility at the second post. So, I mean, that will also happen eventually, but uh, in this case, it was extremely preventable, as was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the corner in itself. So uh, on a more general note, I would concur with Matthias that the inclusion of Mats Hummels has made a tremendous amount of difference uh, just because he's uh, so good in the air, but also because he's so calm. And I think that, that has already had some uh, effect on you know his teammates but it's still not going to be a massive strong suit for a team that severely lacks you know uh, the the athletic qualities you need to defend set pieces sometimes especially against really good teams or you know the 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 teams that will come with like two strikers like Cologne did I mean that there's going to be a numerical disadvantage with uh, players who are big and tall in in many games. Dortmund plays, so that's something you know they they probably have to just uh, take into account and and at at times just have to score a goal more. I think Dortmund are well equipped to do that against most opponents this season. So I don't think uh, sad pieces, as we like to call them here, <laughs> uh, are going to make or break this campaign for Dortmund.
2: I mean it's also a trade off you you just have to take as Borussia Dortmund I think they they've beefed up with their squad in comparison to the last two or three seasons maybe but uh, also they need to sacrifice you know complete athleticism physicality uh, to you know their attacking talent obviously and other teams will have different features so um that's just how it is and uh, yeah um so sad pieces I think will re remain uh, a thing that we will mention once or twice, but hopefully not as often as last season, where I think the uh, overall um, percentage of, of uh, goals Dortmund conceded from set pieces, including throwings and penalties, was like 44%. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Right now it's at 50% because it's uh, just one of the two goals that Dortmund conceded. Uh, and both of the uh, shots on target that Dortmund conceded uh, were also in the net. So um, it might have been smarter to just play with 11 outfield players, but you can never know that before. So, um, yeah, anything else that needs to be said about the Cologne match?
0: Um, I would add one thing to something you asked earlier, um, um, which is that I don't really expect Cologne to be uh, a club to this really fighting relegation very closely. Um, I think they, um, they have the quality to end up as a sort of decent lower material side. So I would um, agree. I think, yeah, but you I never think that, know,
2: it's Köln.
3: So.
0: <laughs> that, is, that is true. Um, the, the problem yeah.
3: with Köln is they have a, a really bad start. I mean, they already uh, have zero of six points and they now face uh, Freiburg, which is their boogie team, and they also have I think Gladbach and Bayern within their first six or so fixtures, so I think it's, it's fairly likely that they are going to be like 17th or 18th after five or six match days, which, you know, in Cologne is usually a big, big problem. But I think if they stay calm, which is a big if uh, in Cologne, (laughs) uh, they, they, I would absolutely agree they have the quality to, at least, I would say, do what Düsseldorf did last year, and that was come in tenth and not really have any issue. And and remember that Düsseldorf also were in the thick of the relegation battle until they beat Dortmund basically in in December. So I think yeah, if you look at two if other if teams look, in the same week, yeah, yeah. If if you look at at the quality of Cologne, that that doesn't look like a side that is going to be relegated. And I also think uh, fairly highly of Achim Bielorz. So it's not. A situation like you know Stuttgart last season, for example, where you know a a a team that was certainly good enough for the Bundesliga that just didn't put it together at at really any point of the campaign.
2: Yeah, who had Stuttgart uh, at at their home again was it typhoon Korkut, Korkut Weinziel
3: and uh, the the <laughs> under nineteen coach <laughs> um,
0: Nico Willig. Uh, was yeah, his name? Right.
2: And he was the only one who, who did a half decent job. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, not a good omen for Cologne, though, because they had the uh, mass at uh, the Kölner Dom, and uh, with that, they obviously had God on their side, and Hennis the Ninth <laughs> was introduced um, as the new live mascot, and that was the first L for him, so um, also not a good omen for for the little goat. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see about Cologne, but it's uh, not, not a, a perfect start for the billy goats um anywho i i think that concludes our talk about match day two and we can now move on to match day three where do face union berlin in the top spiel the uh 6 30 kickoff union berlin started the uh bundesliga with a four nothing loss against raba leipzig and then uh got a very important one one draw away to fc augsburg uh after trailing on match day two um but daniel before we uh Talk about the Niven Zubotic and Wurz Fischers and, and whatnot. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the opening match day still. Um, <laughs> you had. Uh, Do we have to? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean. I, I think
0: I'll boycott my voice uh, for that segment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there was a boycott of atmosphere for the first 15 minutes. Um, yeah, but I, I think it was not cool by the DFL to hand you exactly that fixture for for the very first Bundesliga match but nevertheless there was a very nice uh campaign called I think mit dabei I didn't double check but I uh, think you endlich know, dabei endlich dabei
0: uh, so finally go. with us
2: yes and uh, I would like you to uh elaborate a little bit on that very beautiful uh yeah thing
0: yeah the idea was that um it was over eleven thousand days eleven thousand thirty three to be precise since union had last played a top division uh game of football um back in uh, old eastern German top division because obviously union never played in the bundesliga before um so there was a long time of waiting um and a lot t- of suffering in between um all those years um and obviously uh, a lot of uh union people um would have liked to see that day and didn't get to um because they they didn't live to see that day where Union play, finally played in the Bundesliga um and to sort of um honor them and um uh, recognize uh, the way that Union has come to get to that point there was this campaign called endlich dabei um where people could uh, print out uh, uh, the quantified, uh of people who have died um, and put them on placards to hold up or um uh, uses Doppelhalter, um, so, um, um, holding them up by two sticks, um, to sort of, um, put them into the attendance of that game, even though they, uh, couldn't actually be there. And that was a very, uh, very moving, um, thing, as you can imagine, um, in the first minute, uh, in the minutes uh, leading up to the game. Um, yeah, it was while, even uh, moving for me, and played. I'm, I'm yeah. not
2: emotionally invested into Union Berlin.
0: Yeah. Um, it, um, I'm a, a relatively recent convert to Union. Um, I don't have a family history there. So it wasn't, uh, like, um, um, having a father that I went to Union with, uh, for example, who, um, who would be in that group. But, um, just being part of a club, obviously, you know, a lot of people who, um, who do, uh, sadly die. Like, uh, one person who, um, means a lot to a lot of Unioners, uh, for example, is a guy called Tino Czerwinski. Um, who has been a very active fan, who, um, was on uh, on the board of the club even in the very chaotic 90s where Union was, Union, uh, the club itself was uh, closed to death a few times. Um, and he was one of the people who were held up there and were honored. Um, he has died of I think about a year ago, if I remember correctly. Um, so yeah, that, that was a really, uh, a nice gesture. And, uh, it was also a nice gesture of the club to count those, um, about 450 people, um, who were there in that way, uh, to count them in the attendance of the match.
2: Yeah, that was a very nice gesture. Um, I have to, I have to say, um, so well done on you in Berlin. But I think in, in Germany, they are actually quite famous for, um, yeah, I, I, I would say that their fan culture, um, that that's fair to say and uh, a lot of people that I've talked to are very glad to see them finally in, in the first division and uh, a lot of people from Dortmund are also uh, very keen on, on uh, traveling to Union Berlin to the Alte Försterei. Um that stadium also has a bit of a history for um, our uh, let's say new international listeners can you fill in the, the gaps a little bit
0: Um so the, the real distinguishing mark is it is the, um, uh, by far the most, uh, standing, uh, space spaces stadium in Germany. Um, and, uh, percentage the, wise, I guess. Yeah. Um, and. When finally, uh, Berlin gets a chill together, uh, building wise and, um, <laughs> can so, which I guess uh, is a bit big if, um, and can sort out the, um, uh, the traffic plans and, and Union can finally, um, get permission to build the extension of the, um, stadium that is planned and was, uh, meant to be ready, uh, already. Um, now it was, uh, postponed to, um, actually constructed because you wouldn't want to play in the Bundesliga on a construction side and also um, because uh, the sort of um, permission uh, scheme is running a bit late um, but if that is completed and um, goes from uh, 22,000 capacity to 37,000 then it will actually be the largest standing stadium in Germany period <laughs> because it will then have uh, by a few hundred uh, standing spaces uh, uh, more of, the, um, of them than the uh, Westfalenstadion <laughs> which I'm very much looking forward to, <laughs> if you couldn't notice. <laughs> um, yeah, and the famous anecdote that you probably alluded to was that um, in the previous uh, sort of upgrade to the stadium or reconstruction, um, fans famously put a lot of uh, work into it themselves. Um, I think the figure is like a 100,000 work hours that um, a lot of different people put in, um, sort of pouring concrete on the steps and um, all that uh, stuff that, is the stuff of legends, but of a legend that is actually true. Um, it is one of the, the famous things that is mentioned always uh, when you uh, sort of try to explain what Union is about.
2: Yes, in- indeed. And I, I, I think there's also the uh, Weihnachtssing that uh, Union Berlin is quite famous for when the fans yeah. gather on the pitch around Christmas and sing together for I don't know, an hour or two. So yeah,
0: That is also something that other clubs have adopted. <laughs> yes, I think Dortmund <laughs> um, did that as well last yeah, and Christmas. Schalke did, um, which is a bit tacky, I think. Um, not Schalke, <laughs> but doing that, but also, yeah, well, um, but another event that is, uh, very, um, very much in that vein of, um, of sort of things that happen at Union is the, uh, annual Drachenboot Ren or Drachenboot Fun Cup, um, which is actually happening this weekend because it's always, uh, on the first weekend of September, um, on the day, um, after or before the game. And that is um, a lot of unioners uh, coming to Grünau, uh, to the regatta place there in Berlin. And um, yeah, having a a lot of fun um, going uh, Drachenboat rowing. So dragon boat (laughs) racing um, with um, a lot of incompetence and some uh, remarkably competent people.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, more reports on that subject from you, uh, Daniel. Um, To to give you a short break now, um, Matthias, over to you. Do you think that Lucien Favre will change his system from a 4-2-3-1 going into this game? And do you think that uh, Julian Weigel will lose his spot in midfield in in that uh, um, move to Julian Brandt?
1: Um, I don't necessarily have confidence that he's going to change from a 4-2-3-1. But uh, I've been surprised before. Uh, I'm not sure because it's, it's, as far as Brandt over Weigel, I'd like to see Brandt start. Obviously, he was a difference maker and Favre acknowledged as much. Um, I guess it comes down to where he perceives the strengths and weaknesses of Union Berlin to be. Um, obviously, Weigel is very pressing resistant, but he's not super creative going forward as Brandt is. I wouldn't be shocked if either one of them starts. I think if go starts, it's kind of a, well, let's see if this starts to unfold like against Cohen. I think we'll see a change much sooner. Uh, and maybe Brandt initially is the super sub, kind of like Paco Alcácer was at one point. It got so was at one point last season. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked to see the same starting 11 uh, like we did against Cohen and then see how the game progresses from there. Because Weigel had a very good match in his first, uh, in the first match day, and he had obviously not so good against Cohen. So it, given Favre's more conservative nature when it, came, it comes to chopping and changing lineups, I wouldn't be shocked to see Weigel start and then see how things unfold and bring in Brandt as that really that difference-maker sub off the bench, which he can be, which Weiger then isn't. I think if you would do it the other way around, it's only if you have a sizable lead and you think you can add some strength and stability.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think that's a correct analysis. Um, Torgen Hazar will be out for several weeks um, with, a, I, I think, a bruised drip. I don't know if it's, it's broken or not, but I think then it would be uh, maybe months, not weeks. I don't know. Um, not a doctor, but he will definitely be out for that game. So will it be uh, Mathieu Moret, who just uh, re-entered running training. I think today, even or, or yesterday, I'm not entirely sure, but, uh, yeah, um, he probably will be joining team training next week and should be then fit after the international break. Um Lars, how do you think Dortmund will deal with the absence of Torgen Hazard? Do you think that maybe Brandt will immediately slot in on the left wing or do you think that it's more something, uh job for Guerrero or so?
3: Well, I would be shocked if Guerrero started uh, just because uh, that would indicate to me that a transfer of his two PSG or wherever basically is off, uh, because obviously the transfer deadline is Monday evening, Germany, uh, I think six PM still. So until it's like seven PM on Monday evening, I'm not going to be convinced Guerrero is staying at Dortmund just because Hans Joachim Watzke has made it somewhat clear. Uh, and I think talk has also spoken on this that, you know, they don't really see Guerrero staying on uh on an on an expiring contract so they will either sell him in the next few days or he's going to sign an extension i guess even though i mean uh they they can't really do anything about him staying if he doesn't want to sign an extension or leave but you know uh, i think in order not to jeopardize a budding transfer i guess Guerrero is not necessarily going to be an option from the start or even altogether in the game so to me, the the question would then come down to, and not really be one, uh, would be uh, Julian Brandt against uh, Jakob Brünnlason. I mean, Larsen had had good, has good experience against Union because he actually made his Dortmund starting eleven debut in the cup uh, in October of 2016 against Union, but. And scored a uh, lucky goal. <laughs> yeah, he didn't, he didn't score. I, I will maintain that he didn't score. He, <laughs> he, he assisted the goal of, uh, I don't know, might be Parenzen or someone.
0: Yeah. Um, who obviously so, has a Dortmund past. Yeah. Just to get that in there.
3: Yeah. Uh, I, I think, uh, Larsen, first of all, there were some reports that Brun Larsen might actually be loaned out, uh, over the next few days, which I can't really see because there shouldn't be much of a market for him and they kind of, can't allow wingers to leave by the, uh, tenfold. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it's going to be Brandt, our, or, or my and Konstantin, I think,'s, uh, long standing theory on this podcast, uh, podcast, at least is that Brandt is going to see a majority of his playing time as the de facto left winger. But, you know, obviously he's going to, move inside uh as we've established on this very show you know, a, a his, central left winger yes yeah his his qualities lie you know in the half space or as the number 10 so uh he and Nico Schulz uh, that should be a good pair on the left so I think that's the most likely uh, way out against union but i I would put like a a small Chance for a, a very much a surprise from Fafre, which would be Brandt instead of Weigel in a 433 with uh, Ashraf Hakimi as the left winger. Um, I think Fafre has toyed with the idea of using Hakimi as an attacking player. Uh, his mindset is very much going forward, as we also saw against Cologne. I think he adds so much dynamism that. You know, he, he always is a candidate to start games, but I don't think uh, at the start of the season you want to tamper too much with your back line. Also because they haven't been, you know, 100% stable. So I think if, if Falfo looks at, at this and, and goes, I want to include Brandt and Hakimi, how do I do that? I wouldn't be, you know, super shocked if uh, Brandt were to replace uh, Weigel and Hakimi played in a more advanced role than usual, but... I think with Falford, it's always smart uh, to to bet on the more obvious solution. And that would be to just bring in Brandt for Azar and, you know, maybe figure things out if things don't go Dortmund's way after 60 minutes again.
2: Yeah, that's correct. And uh, I personally actually would prefer if you put Hakimi on the left wing, I would uh, prefer him over Brünn Larsen on that position right now um just because I, I think he can do way more damage than Brun Larsen, uh right now just the dynamism uh, alone he's also
3: is... a, also he's just a much much better player so i mean yes why that why make it more too. complicated than it is
2: yeah fair, fair enough um matthias how uh, do you see dortmund setting up then finally
1: um i think um obviously with Azard not playing um, I th- I would I would venture to guess you would put a Brandt in in that position and see that typical swapping of the front three that you see that more fluid uh, swapping of positions between Roy Sancho and and Brandt. other than that um, I don't necessarily see... Any major changes to the lineup, um, versus, like versus Köln or Augsburg in that sense, I think Pischik will start on the right. Um, I would, you know, I think Schulz will probably start on the left, and you have your difference makers on the bench that could come in in a pinch uh, if need be.
2: All right, fair enough. Yeah, I think I'll stick to that, um, Daniel. So now it's on you to walk us through a little bit about. Um, FC Union Berlin's style of play under their coach, Coach Urs Fischer. Um, wherever you want to start.
0: <laughs> well, there's uh, only one place to start, really, which is at the back, um, because um, Schluter back. Uh, <coughs> yes, uh, he won't obviously be there <coughs> because he, uh, <coughs> sorry, um, had a distinction of uh, receiving Union's first ever red card in the Bundesliga, and is now uh, barred, uh for the next two games. Um, but still, uh, Union is a team that very much built their success in the second division on being defensively, very solid. Um, um, there wasn't much to, uh, <laughs> to say about their, um, their attacking style in a lot of the games, even the ones that they won last year. Um, because it was basically, um, not conceding a lot and then, um, Having either physical dominance, um, sometimes a bit of a sort of technical quality that um, was too much for the second division, and a lot of um, nicely executed set pieces and uh, sort of uh, some counterattacks. Or um, already like sends a shiver down dem-
2: my spine when I hear nicely ex- executed set pieces.
0: Yes, uh, I was about to mention when you uh, you said that uh, Dortmund is conceding about half of their chances and goals um, from set pieces uh, because that's the same for neuron attacking wise. Um, uh, pretty much exactly half their expected goals uh, against Augsburg, for example, came from set pieces. Um, obviously, the big issue will be um, how much Unión will get into uh, parts of the field where you can get um, set pieces and you can use to attack from. Well, if that-
2: Dortmund start like they did against Cologne, it's about five in the first twenty minutes. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm really curious to see how um, how attacking Unión will approach this game, not just uh, in the sense of how much they will invest in attack, but also how far forward they will try to defend against Dortmund. Because um, in the last match, um, last year in the uh, second round of the DFB car I was very much uh, expecting Union to really approach it uh, with a sort of a park-in-the-bus uh, mentality. But they didn't back then. Um, they were a bit, uh, quite a lot more adventurous than I would have expected them to be. So um I'm really curious to see how um how that will be the um whether that will again be the case this week um uh on Saturday. And um I can't really imagine them uh trusting their back line to be quick enough to recover after they press high. But maybe they will surprise me. <laughs> um pace is really much uh very much the issue with the back line, even uh more so now with Schlotterbeck out because that means that um uh, two of Suburic, um, Marvin Friedrich, uh, Florian Hübner and Mia Hansen probably will play, uh, with the first three, uh, before, or oh, the first two Prefer the more likely. <coughs> and all of those central uh, defenders have quite a lot of quality in sort of, um, doing some last-ditch defending around the box, but, uh, neither of them are very, uh, um, very quick, <laughs> and um, that could be quite the problem against uh, Dortmund's attack. I guess.
2: Yeah, from what I've seen from Subotic so far is that he's not in his very best form yet. Can you no, confirm he can't,
0: that? He can't be, really, because um, he did play uh, quite pretty decent de- season last year with Sante but uh, then he was injured for the last uh, couple of months, so at, um, at first he was injured, and he didn't play much, um and also, uh, only had a belated entry into the sort of uh, summer preparation camp. Um, so there's obviously together with his age, which is actually not that advanced. Um, I think he's 30 now, um, which isn't too old for a center back. Um, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but still, um, he looked a bit older than that <laughs> in the first uh, few times that he played for Union. Um, so. Um, it wasn't, and wasn't just that he was, uh, a bit slow to recover at times, but he also, um, had some pretty significant mistakes on the ball against Augsburg. And sort of avoiding those mistakes will be really key to Union's, uh, chances, um, small as they are against Dortmund, because that was really was, uh, what broke their necks against, uh, against Raba Leipzig in the first game, where they, um, had a, Pretty decent defensive setup in the first 15 minutes or so, but then just, uh, gifted them, uh, turnovers in the final third, which is a stupid thing to do, especially against Leipzig. And, um, because Subutich be uh, smarter uh, against Dortmund if I manage. Yeah, so Exactly. Exactly. Um, and because, uh, Subotic was a bit liable, uh, uh, for some of those, um, I'm curious whether he will actually play. And, um, Oswischer left Marvin Friedrich out, uh, against Augsburg, which, uh, is his former club. Where he had a bit of a transfer saga. So, um, he kind of saw that he wasn't, uh, much of a, um, ausgerechnet, uh, so-and-so, um, coach uh, going there. So, uh, maybe we won't actually see Superditch play.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll see. Um I've got one question is uh what what's up with Felix Gross? I kinda of blindly picked him as one of my depth players for my fantasy team. <laughs> but uh he didn't play last week, as far as I know.
0: Um why not? No, he hasn't featured at all so far. Um and actually it was a bit of a surprise when Union announced um the extension of his contract for the season. <coughs> because he wasn't even um sort of a, a starter in many games last season. He kind of job-shared with Robert Jewell, who is, I think, now back at Hoffenheim, if they haven't uh, found an, another team to take him off their hands. Um, but Groß, um didn't really get to nail down that position in central midfield uh, at any point last season. And there were some doubts about whether um, he would really be able to contribute at Bundesliga level, because he... Um, he doesn't have too many really outstanding attributes. Um, he's not particularly quick at Bundesliga level. He has decent technique, but not outstanding. Um, he has uh, all right anticipation and um, has has had some good pressing performances, but also some sort of not so great ones. Um, so it's really hard to sort of uh, say what exactly Felix Gross can give you on that level. Um, he's a really competent player in the second division, Um and can do a number of jobs for you there. But it wasn't quite obvious, um, in what role Union could need, uh, need and use him in the Bundesliga. But now that, um, Christian Gentner was, had a knock last week, um, and didn't play, didn't also play too great against Leipzig. And Krisha Brömel, who was sort of the mainstay in Union's midfield, um, over the last, uh, one and a half years or so, uh, one year, uh, um, now he's out injured for the game against Dortmund. Um, there might be an opening for Kroos to actually come back into uh, number eight row.
2: Well, good thing I asked. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, but,
3: well, yeah, well, Stefan, Stefan, if you play Kroos, that, basically means you don't want the candlelight
2: dinner with me. So I'll take that as a personal insult. <laughs> well, I don't think I've, I've actually played him. I just benched him last. But um,
3: No, because you just said, uh, good, you, you were asking. I mean, you were clearly thinking about starting a Union Berlin midfielder against Dortmund. That doesn't strike me as a smart <laughs> fantasy football move, Stefan.
2: Yeah, so what if I want a candlelight dinner with Konstantin last? Stop judging me. Um but and, and back to a more serious note uh, before uh, my geography gets tested um, or, <laughs> or something. Um, what do you make of the striking do Anthony Ucha and uh, Markus Ingvartsen?
0: Um, Ingvartsen has played more of a, a number 10 and pressing forward role. Um, I think Ucha um, will be quite important for this immune side because he. There's a speed of uh, movement and of thought and of technique that n- really none of the other striking options for Union have uh, to the same degree. Um, it was visible that he, um, needed to find some either unselfishness or, um, understanding and, um, sort of, um, yeah, getting used to, uh, his, uh, his fellow players in that Onion side. Um, there were a few moves where he did, seemed a bit out of sync with them. Um, so, it's not unlikely that those two will again start, even though, uh, Sebastian Andersen and Sebastian Falter, the other two strikers combined for the first goal last week, uh, the first goal of Union's Bundesliga history. Um, but Ucha, um, is just a bit better in, in a few respects. Um, so, um, and because Union will not create a huge amount of chances at all this season, and especially against Dortmund, they will rely on some clinical finishing. And the quality that Ucha has in a proven ghost scoring ability, which is a horrible phrase, which, um, I always get annoyed by, uh, when people use it. So I'm not quite sure why it just did. <laughs> but, um, that's the feeling that, uh, that you get from Ucha, um, playing on that level and in that Union side that he, that it is what he brings to the, to the, um, um, to the team. And, um, so I think he will be a central figure even though, uh, Sebastian Anderson and Sebastian Folter also, um, made a good case for uh, playing at least some minutes
2: yeah alright so um, b- before we go to predictions um, how do you think Dortmund should play uh, for, for them to, to best beat Union Berlin How do you, like, do you think they should press them high and all that uh, or uh, what kind of style do you think Dortmund should apply uh, for best results so we can then compare it to the actual performance
0: um, it's it's a bit tricky to talk about matchups, especially from a Dortmund perspective um, against Union, because they're just a lot better in basically any way, in every way. Um, so um, executing whatever plan decently should be enough to win. Um, Union's uh, build-up play uh, seemed quite shaky in the first few games, so pressing them high Definitely would be an option. Um, there would be um, um, a bit of a, con- a counter-attacking risk, but um, since uh, Dortmund's uh, defense should also have enough speed to sort of deal with that, and um, because Union um, I think, would need a bit more time uh, to sort of precisely execute those counter-attacks from from the back, um, harassing them should be able to, uh, to restrict their options uh, well enough but um, as I said uh, Dortmund is just a way better team than Union so um, I don't think really it matters too much uh, how exactly they play and as long as Union doesn't have a really great game and Dortmund uh, sort of misses some executions uh, I don't really uh, think the chance of uh, Dortmund's I guess, uh, slipping up is too high
2: Alright Thank you very much for coming on, Daniel. Um, you can now go first and give your prediction for the match, the final score, please.
0: I'd say I'd say Union uh, winning three nothing, <laughs> but that's just as a joke that um, we have that um, in our uh, podcast blog community. Uh, we say that we just always um, tip Union to win three nothing, and if we don't get any points in our uh, Oh, prediction games. Uh, well, that's just a pricey play for um, sort of trusting and uh, and loving the team.
2: All right, fair enough. Um, Lars, do you uh, also predict 3 0? No, I don't. Um, well,
3: first of all, I'm, I'm quite happy from a Dortmund perspective that Union got a point last week uh, and that it's not the first match uh, at the Alte Reihe in the Bundesliga because that Kind of, I mean, obviously this is going to come across as an insult, but I I remember Leipzig's first uh, home game uh, in the Bundesliga, which is obviously not the same thing. So don't don't punch me over uh, the computer, (laughs) please, Daniel. But you know uh, that was
0: an important uh, important thing to say because I was in danger of doing so.
3: (laughs) I'm sorry, but you know (laughs) I'm just speaking uh, on the vibe uh, that that you know the. The promoted side having the first home game, uh, under, I don't know about under floodlights, but you know, in the evening as the top game that that was a bad vibe I got from, from that idea. So I think it, it helps Dortmund that, you know, it's still going to be a great atmosphere, obviously, but you know, it's not. It's not going to be historic uh, in any way, I don't think. So no,
0: the thing is that uh, the Leipzig game doesn't really count. Um, so yeah, I guess this kind of uh, feels like the first time. Um, and um, I'm I can assure you that there won't be uh, sort of any lack in in the intensity and ferocity of the atmosphere. No, option, I don't however. think that I don't think there will be a nos- noticeable difference between sort of the the Premier and and that game. Um,
2: well, I hope so. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that that would be also, I mean, uh, you got my point. I mean, uh, uh, as for the, my prediction, I basically promised uh, Ross Dunbar, who works as, I want to say, the social media manager, but I don't, I mean, please don't yeah. punish me, Ross. Um, <laughs> if that's incorrect. Uh, I, I basically promised him that Sebastian Polter was going to score one pass Berkeley, so I'm going with a 3-1 victory for Dortmund.
2: All right, Um Lars, I'm actually still a bit upset about you, um, because you actually suggested that the only way for me to have a candlelight dinner with you is to win this freaking fantasy <laughs> game, and you know, I never a do There
3: ocean, is an ocean between us, Stefan, that is part of our
2: geography, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, airplanes have been invented, and there might be a chance I am going to Dortmund or Bonn or whatever, Um, so just uh you, you wouldn't know the difference would you no nah, i would I'm, I'm pretty sure i would um i've i've not been in bonn yet but uh i've i've been there via train just passing through so uh yeah That you've seen everything you needed to see basically um i think that that can be said a lot <laughs> about a lot of towns in germany i don't know if you can say that about bonn actually because i hear it's very beautiful there especially since you're living there um so um with all that being said i will go for a three nothing win because i did not make any promises to ross dunbar so there's that um matthias what are your prediction vibes
1: i'm gonna go two nil
2: all right that uh sounds terrific so um yeah i think we can all knock it on the head now um daniel please tell our listeners how to uh find you on Twitter and your podcast slash written work on Textilvergehen.
0: Um, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, da underscore, uh, Rosbach, uh, spelled our Um, and you can find, um, most of our podcasts at Textilvergehen and of our blogs. Um, we also do a history show on, um, Union, which is called Niemals Vergessen. Um, uh, Following a slogan that um, is quite pre- uh, um, quite, prominent at Union. Maybe, uh, sort of go through the, uh, about a hundred years history of uh, football in Köpnik in Oberschöneweide and talk about that.
2: That's very nice. Um, while we're on the subject of history, um, Matthias, how can people get in touch with you and read the, uh, piece that you wrote for the Yellow War?
1: Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Matthiasuk, and of course on the website you can read the article about Money Books because of course he was honored during the uh, Augsburg match, and get a little bit more information there on one of the oldest ever, or actually the oldest ever active NFL roster player in history.
2: Yes, Las, who did they uh, play for? Uh, did he play for?
0: Um,
3: I want to say Seattle, but I'm not sure that the franchise actually existed back then.
1: Well, the uh, the Seahawks started in the late '70s, so at that at that point, he was still playing for Dortmund. But actually, he was playing in NFL Europe, so it's kind of a, uh, a an entrapment question. There, he was playing for the the Rhine Fire um, in the uh, late mid to late '90s.
2: Yeah, that's Düsseldorf. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Lars, how can people uh, get in touch with you? Uh, if you're female, you can set up uh,
3: candlelight dinners with me without the fantasy game at Lars Paulmann. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, uh, I, I'm uh, sure you will get a big reaction to that. So, um, yeah, you can get in touch with me. Please, uh, no scheduling of candlelight dinners from uh, any sex so um, just so you know um, but you can find me at Stefan if you want to get in touch with all of us please do that at Yellow World Pod is our Twitter handle and our Facebook handle if you want to subscribe to our show um, attention I have added to our uh, feeds not only can you subscribe to our SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher radio now uh, but also you will find us on uh, Google Play Music and we now also have a YouTube channel I can't name uh name of that channel yet because we need 100 subscribers first to uh yeah enter that but uh, please go there and subscribe so I can in the future name a URL to meet YouTube's pesky conditions there um so yeah please do that and if you subscribe via iTunes also uh, please drop us a, a nice little rating and of course if you want to become a patron and read our written content go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall and subscribe for one dollar or directly to the yellow where you find everything you need to know about us so um yeah i would say until next week as always everyone out there thank you for listening and goodbye